Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our insight series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello and welcome to Sibylline's podcast series. I'm Liana Samchuk, Lead Europe and Eurasia Analyst, and I'm joined today by Louis Cox Brusso, our Europe Analyst, and Alex Lord, our Europe Eurasia Analyst. Today we will discuss the most recent climate report released by the United Nations, which found that human activity is a key driver in changing the climate in unprecedented and sometimes permanent ways. Louis, Alex, thank you both for joining me. Could you please briefly summarize what this report is and discuss some of the key takeaways from it? Thanks, Leona. Well, the report unfortunately makes for quite grim reading. In brief, more heat waves and floods are expected across Europe, even if current global targets for decreasing greenhouse gas emissions are met. In particular, we're expecting to see more floods in coastal and riverine areas. Temperatures in Europe are likely to increase much faster than the current global average, although there's expected to be significant variance between the various regions of uh, Europe. In particular, the report notes that critical thresholds for human health, agriculture and ecosystems are likely to be exceeded at least once in most areas of Europe within the next century. And the report further notes that while there has been some good progress made in in, in meeting targets for reducing greenhouse gas emissions, much greater cohesion at the subnational and international level is going to be required in, in order to avoid a fairly fundamental paradigm shift for human habitation in the next 100 years. And so the release of this report notably comes less than three months before a key climate summit in Glasgow known as COP26. How likely are the findings that you just discussed to prompt governments and policymakers to raise their ambition in tackling climate change ahead of COP26? And what potential implications for the operational environment for businesses is this report likely to have? Thanks, Liana. So yeah, hit nail on the head there. Probably the most immediate impact of this report for businesses is in terms of climate activism. So we've already seen a significant increase in the campaigns and the direct actions and protests in recent years by groups such as Extinction Rebellion, Fridays for Future and Greenpeace. And this was even during the pandemic when restrictions limited their ability to conduct traditional mass events. So the fact that this report has come at precisely the time when countries around the world are in fact lifting COVID restrictions presents probably new opportunities for these groups to return to mass movements in major cities and potentially escalate their campaigning. Ultimately, I think there's the stark conclusions drawn by the report are only likely to exacerbate an already growing sense of frustration and indeed desperation actually amongst these groups over climate inaction. Activist um, social media has been awash in recent days with calls for increasing their campaigns across Europe, North America, as well as elsewhere. With many XR members, for example, seeing the report as a a vindication of their more radical civil disobedience campaigns. But if we look to the weeks ahead, XR are already scheduled to hold numerous large-scale events across Europe this month. The first is already underway in Amsterdam, which XR have dubbed their climate camp. But the largest and most disruptive events are planned for later in the month in Berlin, London and Oslo. Starting this weekend in Berlin, for example, XR are holding their Central Rebellion as part of their August Rise Up campaign which is running from the 14th of August until the 21st. This is likely to prove one of the flagship XR events of 2021, with a week of rallies, protests, blockades, and potential targeted direct action planned across the city. Similarly, the upcoming Impossible Rebellion in London from the 23rd of August is due to see events and actions targeting the London financial sector over the course of two weeks. This in particular reflects British climate activists' particular interest in targeting the financial sector 
over their links to fossil fuels and other polluting industries. And this is a trend that we're not going to see go anywhere. In fact, it's probably going to increase. We've already seen XR activists smash windows of numerous banks earlier this year. So we could well see further property damage during the upcoming events, as well as the expected widespread disruption. Um, such mass protests and blockades can indeed cause in, in city centres. I'd say the IPCC's findings are undoubtedly going to increase public engagement with the issues and potentially even turnout at the XR events and reflect the growing likelihood that environmentalist campaigning is only going to grow in the months ahead and in 2022 particularly. However, I think understanding what's driving these events should very much be understood not only in reference to increasing scientific data on climate change, such as this week's report, but also its political context. So, um, as you mentioned, Liana, this month's XR campaigns are in many ways just a prelude to the upcoming UN COP26 summit in Glasgow in September. The report's findings have markedly underlined the importance of world leaders reaching agreement at this summit on cutting carbon emissions. And so this growing sense that time is running out will likely only increase public engagement with and turnout at activist events in the run-up to the summit. And ultimately, if COP26 does fail or is perceived to have grossly underestimated the threat posed by climate change, I think we could see late 2021 as a potential trigger for groups like XR and, and individual activists to escalate their campaigning further. Just to add to what Alex has said, in, that's all absolutely bang on. In terms of how the operational environment for businesses might otherwise be impacted, both as a direct result of the IPCC report and the issues it raises, obviously in the short term, natural disasters, much like the flooding recently in Western Europe and wildfires in Southern Europe have indicators, will pose fairly obvious security risks to businesses in the affected regions. In particular, we're quite likely to see some disruption to shipping and transport in those affected regions, which could in turn impact on international supply chains. In the more mid to long term, political turbulence in those regions may engender policy risk to businesses and firms as more environmental concerns take centre stage and potentially more extreme political parties are given a greater platform from which to drive policy. Otherwise, moving slightly further into the long term, the asymmetric impact of climate change, particularly in Europe, is very likely to exacerbate socioeconomic tensions and inequality, particularly in regions already at risk from such, specifically Portugal, Spain, the wider Iberian Peninsula. We've already seen quite serious economic fallout from COVID, and that's something which does risk being compounded in the long term by the impact of climate change. Thank you both. So continuing to look more specifically at Europe, of course, we've touched on some of these things already during this discussion, but, you know, the IPCC report has also found that temperatures in, on the continent will rise faster than the global average. So could you speak a little bit more about specific countries and sectors that are most likely to be impacted and what the nature of that impact is most likely? Sure. Well, at present, scientists have high confidence that fire weather conditions, meaning conditions prompting wildfires such as those we're seeing now in the Mediterranean. But those conditions will increase across southern Europe and the wider Mediterranean, obviously also impacting North Africa, Turkey and the Middle East, also to include droughts. At the same time, the scientists who put together the IPCC report have medium confidence that Central and Eastern Europe will also see fire weather conditions emerge. This also compounds several droughts in recent years, which have affected in particular the Visegrad region within Central Europe. Moving a bit further west, natural disasters like the floods in June, July, which affected Germany, Belgium, Luxembourg and the Netherlands are expected to become more commonplace. We may also see more flooding due to extreme rainfall in the UK and France, particularly in areas which are more heavily riverine. Sea levels across Europe are expected to rise with the exception of the Baltic Sea. And the longer term impact of this is obviously hard to gauge 
in real terms, security risks. One aspect which has been touched upon in the IPCC report is that climate-induced migration is likely to be an increasing factor affecting European policy and indeed border security. We've already seen fairly substantial migration surges in 2021 across the southern neighbourhood, much of which is, is believed to have been driven by climate change in North Africa and the Middle East. These increases in migration in themselves pose something of a disruption risk to businesses operating in the region, given the security considerations for maritime and land-based shipping and transport. In a more real sense, the overcrowding of cities in particular is likely to generate greater conditions for, for domestic unrest and socio-economic inequality, meaning that as we move forward through the 21st century, we may see quite a large shift in social conditions across Europe, particularly Western Europe. Great. Uh, thanks, Louis. And looking further to the east, Eurasia is also identified in the IPCC report as an at-risk region for extreme weather events. For example, Russia in particular stands out with the most recent wildfires across Siberia, as well as the melting permafrost, which some studies estimated could cost the Russian economy up to 67 billion US dollars by 2050. This is not to mention the severe droughts across Central Asia at the moment and the risk of large-scale crop failures ahead of winter. So with some of these most recent examples in mind, could you speak a little bit about the longer-term implications of this report on the Eurasia region and businesses operating there? Yeah, absolutely. So as you've already mentioned, the Eurasian region this year has seen quite an increase in extreme weather events. Large swathes of Central Asia, as you mentioned, are currently undergoing the worst drought in over 13 years, while skyrocketing temperatures in the far north are driving one of the largest wildfires in history in Siberia. That wildfire alone is larger than all other wildfires currently raging in the world combined. And if it continues to grow in the weeks ahead, it is set to be the largest wildfire in recorded history. So Russia really is at the forefront of experiencing the effects of climate change. Some studies have estimated that Russia is actually warming roughly two and a half times faster than the planet as a whole. And so climate change is set to present significant challenges to the Russian government, as well as businesses operating across the country, and not just in Siberia and the far north. As you mentioned, Liana, melting permafrost is probably the most immediate concern, as permafrost currently covers about 65% of Russia's landmass. The IPCC itself has predicted that around 32% of the country's permafrost coverage will melt by 2100, even if global carbon emissions fall sharply. So this presents serious concerns for established oper business operations across the country, with dozens of towns and industrial plants having to deal with damage to basic foundations as the permafrost literally melts beneath them. This will obviously drive operational costs over the long term, on top of the increasing ESG pressures investors are already placing on these traditional industries. Returning to Central Asia, the increasingly tangible effects of climate change are highly likely to exacerbate numerous forms of tensions and risk right across the region in the long term. Water insecurity is one of the most obvious amid the current drought. This issue has remained an enduring legacy of the post-Soviet period, as new national borders after independence separated the integrated Soviet-era infrastructure networks. But numerous political and economic disputes have prevented significant international cooperation to mitigate these issues. So rising temperatures and extreme weather events are only set to exacerbate these political and ethno-religious tensions, with water access being one of the main drivers of border clashes in the rest of Fergana Valley in particular. This is one region where resource-fueled conflict remains an enduring possibility, with Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan both deploying their militaries to their border in April over this very issue. As a final thought, I'd say the deteriorating security situation in neighbouring Afghanistan to the south 
should also be borne in mind in the short term, as it could potentially exacerbate these tensions further. An impending refugee crisis and latent Islamist movements across the region are likely to add additional pressures to already stretched water, food and security resources. So instability emanating from Afghanistan in this particular region is likely to only compound the worsening effects of climate change and increase competition over scarce resources. Great. Well, thank you both very much for your time and I look forward to speaking with you again in the future. We're now joined by Edward Johnson, head of global intelligence, who will provide an overview of upcoming key global events to look out for in the week ahead. Thanks, Liana. Uh, yes, looking forward to the week ahead, starting in, in Europe and in Germany, where between the 14th and the 21st of August, Extinction Rebellion will hold their Central Rebellion in Berlin, which is a, a week-long series of events which will see large-scale protests, vigils, and so-called die-ins and festival across the capital. And this will cause only sort of localised disruption around uh, those particular events. Fossil fuels firms, as well as financial and retail sectors, will be at the highest risk of more targeted direct action, however, during the campaign. Elsewhere in Poland, protests against a controversial media law are highly likely over the coming weekend of the 14th and 15th of August. The law passed on the 11th of August and has previously triggered mass demonstrations as critics denounced the law as an attempt to muzzle independent media. The approval of the law also notably serves to undermine relations with the EU and the US in particular, moderately threatening the scope for future investment into the country and further straining those ties with Brussels. Elsewhere, a bit further afield, India will celebrate its Independence Day on the 15th of August. Security is likely to be heightened around all major urban centres, especially after two individuals linked to Al-Qaeda were arrested last month after planning a bomb attack during this uh, celebratory period. We are also watching the, the ongoing fallout after a Chinese court convicted Michael Spavor, a Canadian businessman of espionage, and sentenced him to 11 years in prison on the 11th of August. Spavor's case is directly linked to the ongoing detention of Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou, who was arrested in Canada at the request of US authorities in 2018. Tensions between Canada, the US and China are said to remain elevated for the foreseeable future, and it's likely to have consequences for Western businesses reliant on trade with China through the possible imposition of trade restrictions, and as well you know, maintaining the, the potential for further arbitrary detention of especially Canadian and American citizens operating in China. Thanks very much for listening to this podcast. As ever, if you have any further questions or would like any additional information, please don't hesitate to reach out and contact us at info at Sybilide.co.uk. Thank you.